Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while you're hunting deer. Thank you so much for tuning in with us this week. We've got a good and timely episode, I think, for you. Uh, I had Sam Billhorn of Whitetail Partners on. Sam is a Whitetail Habitat consultant in Wisconsin. And the topic we covered is how habitat management and hunting strategy shifts when there is a drought in your area. Now, if you look at the map of the United States right now, a ton of what I would consider destination whitetail states are in the middle of a, of a pretty intense drought. Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, even parts of Mississippi, Louisiana, of course, Texas, uh, parts of Kentucky, even east of there, Indiana. Uh, Ohio, part of Ohio is experiencing a drought. So basically outside of, uh, of the, the southeastern portion of the United States, you know, Alabama and over, uh, a lot of the country is experiencing a drought in the Whitetails range. Now, for those of you with water on your property, you've got a river, you've got a creek, something like that that never dries up, well, this could be okay. Like, it's pretty obvious what you should do. But for those who maybe don't have water on your property, for those of you who are relying on water holes that are man-made, for those of you hunting public land who are wondering, what am I going to do with this strategy? You know, the only public land around me does not have a ton of water on it. What should I do now? Well, that's what we get into in today's episode. So it's an awesome, awesome episode. Now, this is actually part two of the conversation that I had with Sam. Part one is going to air on the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, airing on this coming Tuesday. That would be July 25th. So this is the second half of the conversation, but the content was so good, I wanted to split it off from the original. It's a really, really good conversation. I highly encourage you to head over to the Wisconsin Sportsman Show this coming Tuesday to hear the rest of the talk and how Sam is addressing drought conditions uh, on his personal property and how that's going to impact his hunting on private land this fall. A couple of things before we get started here. Number one, if you have not already, go follow me on Instagram at How to Hunt Deer, or you can also find me at The Wisconsin Sportsman. And if you would, go like, follow, subscribe, whatever it is, the place where you download your podcasts will let you do so that you are notified and can keep up with the shows. That would really, really help me out. Leave me a review if you can. If you can leave me a written review, that is even better. Also, it is that time of year when we are thinking about getting geared up for fall. Uh, if you're going to be making some purchases, if you're looking at your gear, thinking, man, I need some camo, man, I need some uh, some cameras to get me set for the year, man, I need uh, a, a mapping software that I really, really like, let me encourage you to go check out our sponsors. One of the best ways that you can support me and this show is to support the brands that are behind us. First of all, Tacticam, they're the title sponsor of the show. And uh, yeah, it is that time of year for sure. If you haven't already and you want to sell film, go check out Tacticam.com and look at what they have to offer. 
They've got the Solo Extreme camera, which is kind of a budget option. It's going to give you HD footage, but still one-touch operation. Weatherproof housing, so you don't have to worry about it getting rained on or anything like that. It's really tough. It's really durable. And, of course, it has a whole slew of mounts and adapters that are going to help you get that camera exactly where it needs to be, whether that's on your bow, whether that's over your shoulder, whether that's on your head. They have all kinds of stuff to get that camera exactly where you want it. Also, the 6.0 camera, that is their flagship for the year, gives you 4K footage. It's got a mini touchscreen on it. It is a huge upgrade from previous years, in my personal opinion. And, of course, it's got all the mounts and adapters that you could possibly need to make sure that it is ultra, ultra user-friendly. You can head over to their website, Tacticam.com, to learn more. Next up, the Onyx Hunt app. No matter what kind of hunting you do, whether on private land, public land, whether you're a run-and-gun guy on public or you're a habitat manager on private, whether you've got a bunch of different farms that you hunt or just a single place that you like to hunt, no matter if you like to travel to hunt or if you just like to stay right there at home, the Onyx Hunt app has you covered. It's going to give you public and private land boundaries so that you can have confidence of where you're standing at all times. Right now, I'm actually starting to look toward uh, hunting North Dakota in the fall of 2024. And uh, one of the things that I've learned about North Dakota, if the land isn't posted, well, guess what? You can hunt it. And so looking at the Onyx Hunt app, they've got a layer on there that shows you what is electronically posted and what is not. So at a real quick glance, I can tell, hey, these are some properties that I might want to pay attention to. Yes, they're private, but there's a chance that I get there and they're not physically posted in person. And if they're not electronically posted or physically posted, then I can hunt them. And the Onyx Hunt app is going to fill you in on that info. You can find them on the app store of your choice simply by searching Onyx Hunt app, or you can learn more at onyxmaps.com. And lastly, this episode is brought to you by Huntworth. Now, I went a long time in my life with bottom-of-the-barrel, cheapo, thrift store camo. In fact, if you go back and look at the pictures of the first buck that I shot in Wisconsin, that year I was entirely in camouflage that I'd purchased from St. Vinny's. I had gotten a little rounder in my older age and needed to head to the local thrift store to grab some camouflage. Did that camo get the job done? Of course it did. Was I comfortable? No, I was not. Was I staying dry when it rained? No, I was not. Was I staying warm when it was cold? No, not really. In fact, uh, what I had to do to try to keep warm was bundle up in tons and tons of layers because these just weren't high-quality pieces. Everything changed for me, though, the following year when I grabbed a suit of Huntworth. I know right now early season's on your mind, and they make durable and lightweight and breathable gear for the early season. The Durham lightweight pants are one of my favorites. As you begin to transition into the midseason, the Elkins suit gets the nod from me. And then as you begin to transition into the later season, a little bit during like the rut time frame, I'm beginning to switch over to the Saskatoon pants, the Saskatoon jacket, and then a personal favorite of mine, the Saskatoon vest. And now that, that sort of later season gear has got their new heat boost technology in it. All of those clothes are graphene infused. What that allows them to do is to create clothing that is way warmer, but much, much less bulky. So head over to their website, huntworthgear.com. If you're looking for some new camo, check it out. I've been more than pleased, and it's not going to break the bank. Now, please do go support the partners that support this show. Now, here's my conversation with Sam Billhorn. Let's pivot in the conversation just a little bit then and start talking hunting strategy when uh, there is a drought. I mean, we don't know. We could 
three weeks from now, things could return to normal as far as, you know, getting regular rain. And, you know, by this fall, we could really be sitting good when it comes to, uh, when it comes to rain and moisture on the landscape. But assuming it doesn't, big picture, how is a, how is, how are drought conditions uh, going to change the way that you're going to hunt? How are they going to change your, your strategy? And actually, I'd like to back up and ask this question. What have you seen on your property? I mean, I'm sure you've got your cameras out and you're mm-hmm. watching what's going on. Are you noticing anything different in the deer activity levels? Or one question that I've been getting on social media a couple of times, I've had folks reach out and say, hey, what are the antlers looking like in your area? Because, mm. you know, this year I think the drought has really made our, our antler production or our antler quality really poor. Yeah, and I've been wondering that myself. I don't think I've seen it. I've only had my cameras out a few weeks and haven't seen enough of I'd say enough data to tell me about the antler growth. Um, I still think they're getting, you know, plenty of good uh, browse and all that still. Um, I do think that'll become stress later as we talked about earlier. But um, yeah, the first thing he said, what am I going to do differently? Well, I'm definitely going to be more uh, uh, carefully monitoring my cameras um, than I have in years past. I kind of just gotten in a pattern of, I only do cameras more or less for fun because I know where the deer are going to be and when they're going to be there just from a historical standpoint, but I'm not necessarily going to rely on that history this year. I'm going to say, what's going on? You know, what I have seen this year is, and certainly just as a factor of the uh, drought conditions, the water holes have been hot. I mean, they've been all over the water holes, which we spent plenty of time talking about that already, but it's true. I mean, they there are very, very few sources of open water and uh, in hill country that is, and uh, having that, they've been all they've been all about it. Um, I'm still seeing, you know, a regular uh, activity. Otherwise, the fawns look good. You know, the, the the one thing worth mentioning there is still seeing quite a few twins and uh, healthy looking. Um, does too and so i think we're doing okay that way just on the overall herd health but um you know as i as we enter the season i'm i'm going to be more focused on that i think that between the water holes and the timber travel routes um i'm actually pretty hopeful pretty optimistic that that's going to be a good thing and we talked earlier about acorns being likely down and uh we'll see what that does for me but i i'm optimistic to think that they may be a little bit easier to pattern uh, particularly if we get some quality food sources uh, on hand here uh, this fall. Yeah, so thinking strategy-wise, if you were to land yourself in a situation where, you know, opening day is coming around and your property is just really hurting when it comes to comes to the drought, you're not mm-hmm. seeing any deer activity, um, you know, maybe a couple does and fawns coming to the water holes. So not anything that's going to make you want to, uh, dive right in there and get after it. Now, I know you, Sam, you're a very patient hunter, right? When it comes to... Too patient. It's cost me at times. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say that, but... Yeah, you're very, yeah. Okay, you, thanks. But, but, you, but you are patient, right? But but let's say you've got the itch and you're like, you know what? I'm going to try this spot down the road that is a, a public piece mm-hmm. where I don't have to worry about, you know, the pressure that I'm putting on my own ground, let's say. I'm going to head down the road to the public piece just to get out, knock the rust off from the year before, enjoy a couple of days in the field. Where are you going to start? Let's just call it September. Let's say the mm-hmm. opener, opening week. Uh, where are you going to start 
when it comes to trying to build a hunting strategy. One, it's on unfamiliar ground, but two, in a year where uh, patterns may just not be what they what they have been in the past. I'm going to go to where I haven't been able to go to in the past, and that's low 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 ground. So talking, you know, I'm I'm in the Wisconsin River Valley, and you know there are places where you need chest waders, if not a boat, to get to most years and it's very difficult so um actually have it on my to-do list quietly i guess not so quietly here now is to go (laughs) um walk some of these areas and get into places i can get into i've i've picked up on um some of the uh, dnr projects that are going on around you know they take advantage of dry years to go out and do wetland mitigation projects where they can get in with dozers and excavators and do things uh, for future habitat in these uh, in the Wisconsin Riverway areas that they are um, able to get at this ground that they can't for sometimes decades. And it's uh, I look at that, I pick up on that and say, I want to see just how far back into this I can get, and, and I might be able to see some sign and some activity that I wouldn't have otherwise seen. Plus, a lot of times, the, as thick as that is in early season, um, and sometimes, you know, these areas would be just, I'd say unhuntable from the standpoint of I'm kind of soft and, uh, you know, a thousand mosquitoes would carry me away. I don't, <laughs> wouldn't be in, but you know, we saw mosquitoes early from the, there was a lot of snow melt and, and flooding early that led to high mosquito populations. You can't find one right now. Wow. And, and I think that, you know, I look at that and say, there will be areas that are more heavily traveled or frequented by bucks that haven't been in the past. And it'd be an interesting year to go try that. So I'd, I'd say anybody, if you got uh, public land that's near what his, is historically low wet ground, go check it out. You might be really surprised what you're able to find. And I don't be surprised if you could set up on a buck in an area that you would think is not uh, a huntable area and in, in that it's just brushy and, Um, you know, there's not many mature trees. It's just more of low ground. Um, you might surprise yourself even sitting on the ground, you know, and I thought about that too, with my kids to go out there and sit in some of these areas where it's, if I find a travel corridor that we can just kind of bump up against a tree, it might be an interesting hunt to go see what we can see. Yeah. Uh, One of the, one of the other things that I always do, and I can do this on my own property or on other farms that I have permission to hunt is just go kill some does, you know, and, and those, those early summer hunts, I think they go, or excuse me, those early fall hunts, you know, late summer hunts, they go so quickly. We think about doing that and all of a sudden it's October and you're like, Oh, now I got to switch to buck hunting and you miss that opportunity. Um, I'm going to be hot after it in September to go kill some does. Yeah. That's a good move. Do you, do you feel like you guys have done a good job in the last couple of years of removing the right amount of does from your property? Yeah. Yeah, so we're actually, and I'm looking at cameras now just saying I don't need to kill does because we've been overrun with them before, and, and we've been, uh, I think, doing a good job of that. I don't want to say with the acreage we hunt that we can certainly control the overall population or do a big dent in it, but I think we've done our share, and um, numbers are less than we've seen in the past. But, you know, a lot of that, too, is going to be some of these late summer um, uh, scouting uh, sessions too, going out there and just seeing how well the fields fill up. I have family that lives on the farm too, that, you know, they can kind of tell me what they're seeing out in the fields and have an idea of crop damage and some of these other things. Um, so we'll, we'll know what, where we're at. And if not, I'll still kill a few of them. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I, I like what practiced. you, what's that? 
target practice. Yeah. There you go. There you go. There. You know what? For for young hunters or or people who have That's not right. shot a lot of deer or people, maybe you have shot a lot of deer, but maybe you are you know like me and what I've struggled with in the past. You're one of those guys that you draw back the bow, and then from the moment you've drawn back to the moment that you're tracking the deer, you really don't know what happened. You just kind of blacked out in the moment. The best thing that you can do for that kind of just freak out moment at the shot is to shoot living animals over yeah. and over and over again. Um, yep. Use you know, your tags. That's right. That's right. Use your tags. So um, I like what you mentioned about going to that that low, low ground and checking that out because Number one, you can get to areas that you simply haven't been able to in the past. Uh, number mm-hmm. two, I think there are lots of opportunities opened up for access. I saw uh, a buddy of mine and, and recent uh, podcast guest, actually, Brian Dombrowski. Uh, he, was, um, he was doing some, um, some scouting the other day, and he was walking way back into this marsh, and he showed it, and it was totally dry. You know, there are these creek mm-hmm. or slough kind of areas that were all dried up. But he could get in there, number one, and walk these dried-up creek beds. But number two, it was just soft enough where it really, really showed deer tracks and deer mm-hmm. travel through that mm-hmm. through that swamp and how they're using the cover. So lots of scouting opportunities, I feel like, um, you know, feel like at this time of the year. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Um, you, you know, you'll, you'll maybe discover long historical patterns that, you, that were there all along that you just couldn't see because there was so much muck and water and other things going on now are a lot more apparent. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, when it comes to early season food, I mean, you know, one of the things that if you're hunting on public land or unfamiliar ground, you really need to key in on some kind of food source, unless you just want to be an all out bed hunter, Dan and fault style and climb up 40 yards from a buck and look at it down in his bed. I don't know many people that can pull that off. So I think those food sources are, are really, really important. Uh, what are maybe some of the food sources you're going to be keying in on, you know, if you're, if you're heading down the road and you don't have, you know, plots or ag yeah. to really think about? Well, I mean, with, with any, uh, you know, take a typical piece of public land, um, the food sources, other, you know, there's obviously browse and there's uh, things that you want to pick up on within, uh, within that land itself. But with any public land, you got to look beyond the, boundaries of that land you know you'll 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 look at that property and say what is around this what's going on around it and not just historically it's good to look at satellite images and have an idea of things but to physically go out there and say wow there's a there's a bean field and and it better yet it's on the you know late end of maturity so it's it could be green into that early part of the season and taking advantage of that or a quality alfalfa field i mean the alfalfa fields last year were just dynamite i remember i remember posting a picture on that i mean they were just lush what you know late into the year and they're not right now in parts of the state and a lot of the state but you know they have the potential to bounce back very quickly uh if we get some quality rains even to the even to the point of saying you know hey we get a good stretch of rain well two weeks later there's going to be you know a good growth on that alfalfa that's something to key in on um and certainly uh, considering that, um, you know, looking locally at what's there, and this is taken at next level, but really scouting the perimeter and saying, you know, maybe there's an adjacent food plot. Maybe you have somebody who's got a, um, 
piece of private land adjacent and they think they have the secluded plot, but if you can be hunting adjacent to that on public land and taking advantage of their work, well, great, that's just doing your homework and knowing what's there. So it's all about seeing what's there oftentimes beyond the borders of that uh, uh, public land and hunting appropriately, you know, trying to get in there early enough where there might be bedding further into the public land and you're trying to catch them as they're coming out towards that private land in the early evening and you get in there with enough time that uh, you can kind of cut them off. Yeah, assuming this was to continue, man, let's say even into pre-rut and rut time frame, um, how is that going to impact your your hunting strategy if we're just, you know, still not getting rain? Sure. Well, my mind does go to that October time frame too, even before pre-rut and rut, where I, that's where I think could be some of the best because, again, that's usually where we have them on acorns and they're drifting all over the woods and it's less predictable. But I think that those summer patterns could continue longer because they're going to utilize the agricultural sources, hopefully getting some moisture. We just talked about that with alfalfa and other, you know, other crops, travel patterns through the timber, still water holes, all the stuff we were talking about earlier, those patterns could continue longer. If you don't have that, call it three weeks of lost time where they're wandering around gobbling up acorns. Um, Mm. But then getting into the pre-rut, um, which is, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, uh, my favorite time to be in the timber because it is the most predictable with deer laying down sign in that, uh, that last week of October, last 10 days of October. And being on those mock scrapes, they're really starting to use them from a standpoint of communication and, and scouting out their range of where uh, they're going to be looking for does. Um, I think that is... Uh, always a good time and that's going to happen regardless of drought conditions that will happen um, and we should anticipate it to happen if they've been regularly using these travel routes because they haven't had this wandering effect through the timber with acorns and other brows and, and so on those routes could be that much better this year than than they've been in the past Hey guys, just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that's a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions in the past, you know how frustrating it can be to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with a 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. Yeah, so it could really serve to keep those deer concentrated in Mm -hmm. a time of year that really has a lot of folks scratching their heads. You know, we we think of that October lull, you know, those those two dirty words, October lull, uh, when really the deer are just doing things we just don't understand or you know they're in areas of the timber where we're just not getting to yeah time of transition too you know yeah crops are changing habitats are changing 
Um, you know, their body chemistry is changing, you know, like there, there's all these things that are happening, which does, I'll say, reset them. It scrambles them. And it doesn't happen in a day. It happens over time. We talked about that in prior podcasts where there's not just this shift of activity <laughs> that happens like a light switch. It is, you know, it's, it happens throughout the month of October and, you know, a little bit, a little bit uh, earlier in the North, a little bit later in the South. And it, uh, it happens throughout the course of time. And, but I think defining, defining travel on your property, if you, again, back to the private property, you have this ability to manipulate it and, um, put, tell deer where you want them to go. And we, we doubled down on corridors in our property this year, spent a lot of time cutting timber and just really focusing and saying, this is the only way you're getting through. And I'm hopeful to see that happen. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things, and, and this is, you know, if you, if, if you're listening to this and you haven't caught this other conversation, then you should go back and listen to the episode. I'll probably try to link it in the show notes because I don't remember what uh, what episode it was. But one of the things we talked about on your personal property that you did want to double down on this year was thinking through your buck bedding. Uh, did you guys make any improvements in that area or did you kind of pivot a little bit? No, we, we did. So um, two years ago, well, it'd be like a year and a half ago now, we had a big timber harvest and uh, cut a, a large swath of mature red oaks. And uh, we have a tremendous amount of uh, regrowth, uh, regeneration happening in those areas now, um, it, which really made this uh, strong bedding area in the middle of our property that wasn't there previously. Um, and we put a new corridor right through this. Uh, as there was some existing travel there, there were some weak routes, but we we cut a strong corridor through the middle of this thing. And then off of it on either side, up uphill and downhill, we have uh, dozens and dozens of beds that we put in there. And we didn't try focusing on doing like bedding pockets. This whole thing is pretty thick, but we did isolated beds. So okay. this is this is digging into the hill. You know, maybe there's an existing flat spot or you could see a deer had bedded there, but just to improve it that much more made it a little bigger, a little flatter. Uh, cleared it down to the soil and uh, raked it out and walked away. We did dozens and dozens of those. So whether a deer beds in one spot or, you know, one area, they have options. Um, and I think we're going to see increased bedding in there. Also added a new stand location on that corridor just out from that whole area where we can get in and out cleanly, very easily, and uh, hopefully then see good activity coming out of that bedding area um, and take advantage of that. Yeah. So let's, let's shift one more time uh, in, in our conversation here. One thing that we haven't discussed in a while is like a, like a checklist or a, you know, basically what you're doing this time of year. Give me the, the real time nitty gritty of what's going on. You know, we're kind of in late ish July. We're getting into late July uh, heading into August what are you focusing on this time of year when it comes to maybe it's, you know, prepping your gear, maybe it's shooting your bow, maybe it's scouting some new properties, maybe it's, you know, direct habitat improvements on your place. What are you focusing on this time of year? Well, as we look in late July, my number one focus is plots and planting uh, for uh, what will probably be a little bit later this year. I think just given the drought, given conditions, I'm going to edge on being a little later and hoping for more moisture. So I'm going to wait to see that forecasted rain. Uh, you know, it's, it is the 19th year as we record, but, uh, you know, as we look toward 
that I always have it as a marker in my head around uh, July 20th to really be focused on that 10 day forecast and that next one inch or more of rain. Uh, that's going to be when I plant likely this year though, again, pushing into August. So I, I want that strong storm coming in. That's really going to help anchor and start that growth before I'm doing that. So plots are, plots are pivotal. I mean, that's going to be a major focus uh, of the property. Um, but on a habitat standpoint, um, one last walk of the corridors, making sure everything's clear. Sometimes a tree falls and you want to, uh, you know, get that slot cut out so you can move through there. Um, one last check of stands, basically a, what I would call a, a quick run through. You're going to look in every stand, check shooting lanes, make sure the mock scrapes are in good condition. So all these things that we talk about throughout the spring and summer, it's maybe just one final check. I don't want to be in the timber any more than I have to be from this time of the year on. I want that timber to start to settle and not get any more pressure that needs to finalize those camera setups, all those things. This is, you know, I, depending on your property, a day or two's work that you walk through and just make sure everything is exactly how you want it. So that when you come to hunt, uh, there are um, no surprises. You know, that that's really what I want to see on, on my land. From a prepping standpoint, it's um, obviously shooting the bow. That's something that's easy to just let that sit in the garage and uh, not uh, use as much as you should. So uh, that's absolutely, I know it gets talked about some, but doing it and forcing yourself to do it. Um, side note on that, I, a few years ago, I built a four by four blind in the backyard. It's been the best thing that's ever happened because I, I have within two minutes, I can be out slinging arrows in the backyard. And that's always been uh, something I enjoy. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's a, uh, um, a nice to have that, that set up in the backyard. Super simple to do. If you ever want to uh, go about doing it, uh, give me a call. I'll help you tell you all the details on that, but it's a, uh, I'm glad I did it. It's a really nice project. Now, is that an elevated position you're shooting from? No. So I have the opportunity to do that. I have some adjacent trees, which I'll do, I'll do that from time to time. Um, and, and that's good to do that. What I've liked to do, I talked about going through the timber and, um, you know, doing that one last check just as a fun recreational thing. I think it's great for kids too, is to take that uh, foam uh, decoy out or just even a target and, throw it down on the ground and climb up on the stand and throw an arrow. I think that's, that is a great practice, especially to get kids used to tree stands um, that I, I think and would recommend to anybody. Yeah. Um, Man, so. that sounds like a really good exercise too. I mean, one of the things that, that I like to do is leave as much cover around me as possible when I'm trimming out a spot for a stand. Oh, yeah. And yeah. what a great check to see. You know, because I, I always, one of the first things I do every time I get up into the end of the tree is take a couple of practice draws, just making sure that I'm not going to be bumping anything. So that's a good time of year to really get in there and, you know, take a couple of practice draws. Make sure your, you know, your shooting lanes are, are what you thought they were. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's nothing worse than <clears throat> feeling like the shooting lane was good and then turns out, eh, almost good enough, but not good enough. That is a, that is a crushing blow. <laughs> but I, I'll, I will say this as I am always in the mindset, like when I initially set up something, I undercut, yes. uh, you know, what needs to be done no, knowingly. Like, yeah, I, I probably would take that one, but I'm going to come back another day and look at it. Or I'll even wait through that season. You know, the, you talk about being patient on something. You only get to cut a tree once. Yeah. And, I'm going to wait to say, I'm going to let that one go. And then, you know, eventually know I can come back and take it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good move. 
that's a good move. All right, man, anything else, you know, this time of year that you would encourage somebody who is is getting ready for the season to be thinking through, working on, prepping, any of that kind of stuff? One of the things that I would say is always looking for that next best stand. You know, if you're focused on what you've had, what you've done, um, and you haven't hung a stand in a while, get a stand and find a place for it that's new. And think about travel patterns. Think about all these things we've talked about through uh, this podcast and the, and the types of setups. Uh, and maybe and maybe it's that new water hole. Maybe you go pop in a water hole in a spot and put a stand up, and that's going to be the new project you have this year. I think that we always want to be pushing to find the next best spot. If we're, only, if we're always relying on these same old locations, we're probably not thinking hard enough about where the deer might be and, or simply how they've worked around that spot. You know, sometimes we have these long established locations and maybe we've educated them a little bit too much and we need to even simply move over 30 yards and make a change. Um, I think that that's always a mindset that I want to have, even in the, you know, highly detailed setups that I'm creating. I want to always challenge myself to look for something else. I have, on my property where I have dozens of stands, I hung two more this year and I plan to hunt them and learn something. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really good. So Sam, last thing, um, lots of exciting stuff going on with whitetail partners. This is also that time of year when hope is at its highest. Hope is at its peak. People are looking forward to the season and we are not far from, uh, when many people will find, uh, lots of blank trail camera photos and lots of uh, food plots that aren't attracting deer in the daylight and lots of hunting strategy that they just realize is not working for their property. So where can folks mm-hmm. go to, to learn more, to see what's going on with Whitetail Partners, to uh, maybe even get in contact with you or, or one of the, the other members of the team to you know begin to work on some of that fine-tuning? Yeah, so uh, as always, look up Whitetail Partners. Uh, come check out our website, Ever Developing on that. Um, we'd love to just talk to you. you. You got questions, you want to talk about your situation coming into this year. A lot of people have reached out to us in the spring and summer, and we're already done designing properties for the year with green up and everything else. But um, there are many things you can do throughout the course of the fall to uh, start to learn and strategize for your property. You know, looking and and, you know, go give you some things to clue in on and, you know, to, to really focus on. And that would make then, if you have us out to your property, uh, come the end of hunting season, December, January, you know, make you that much, you know, more prepared uh, for that design, for that visit. You know, as I've talked about before with Whitetail Partners, our core uh, service that we provide is whitetail habitat design on properties and helping make a property that's customized to the hunter and their situation. Um, it's not just, here's a cookie cutter, we're bow hunters, this is what we do. Um, no, it's, it's much more than that. We want to learn who the hunter is, uh, how they want to define success and what their goals are, and make a design that's going to be uh, perfect for them. Yeah. Along with that too, uh, one of you know some of the things we've been expanding into, have been successful with, have been the uh, implementation, uh, land management. So we still we we now uh, offer that into doing and helping out, and that can be hanging a couple tree stands. That could be a full property implementation uh, that we do now, 
and want to help people if they want that, uh, help them with those services. Uh, and before long, we're going to be helping people buy real estate. We have our, uh, our team is getting uh, licensed and ready to go with that. And that's going to be a fun, new, exciting thing we'll be talking about here this fall. Yeah. And I, I want to emphasize that point of it's really never too early to give you a call. Like we, we really are done with designs and, and, you know, especially on-site consultations not going on this time of year, but uh, it's never too early to give us a call because there are things that, that we can prepare you for. Like I, I was, I was actually talking with a landowner the other day and I'm going to be out in his, on his property in January. He's going to be the first mm-hmm. client that I have for 2024. And I was like, Hey, here are the things that I would really like you to pay close attention to this fall. Uh, it's a mm-hmm. newer property to him. He's unfamiliar with it. He hasn't even hunted it yet. So I'm like, Hey, these are the things I really want you to pay attention to so that when we come out for the consultation, we've got the best data that we can have from the previous fall to make mm-hmm. the best decisions moving forward. Because really the more data we have, the better plan that, uh, or the better setup we can design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right on. You know, even just something as simple as camera locations, talk about where to put those on your farm and the information we're going to gain from that and really can be eye-opening. Um, and, and then even just strategy for hunting this year, talk very quickly about how they've been accessing the stands they have and maybe come up with some new uh, uh, strategies to how they might get to those stands and help them be more successful. So, yep. yeah, it's it's uh, never too early to call. And uh, also we're you know, booking up. I got a month or two of uh, visits all set up here now, and um, the rest of that will fill in pretty quickly once the hunting season hits. Absolutely. Well, Sam, thank you so much for taking the time to come on here again. Guys, head over to whitetailpartners.com to learn more. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. If you could leave us a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. While you're at it, you can follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics that you want to hear, guests you want to hear from, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show and help me bring you great content each and every week. If you're looking for more outdoor content, check out thesportsmansempire.com where you're going to find my other podcast, The Wisconsin Sportsman, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts.